This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ignition. Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major Fantastic. It's The Takeout. Major. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major, that's nonsense. Major Garrett. And you should know better. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I am Major Garrett, host and creator of this most amazing program known as The Takeout, which, as you well know, dear listeners and viewers, is two things each and every week. What are those two things? One, Relentlessly curious, too steadfastly non-ideological. All political perspectives welcome here. Deep dive conversations into politics, policy, and we always throw in a little bit of pop culture. We have a special guest this week. Every guest each week is special, but I would put this in a special, special category because he's right in the middle of the flow of news. Not only in the nation's capital, where there is an intense set of negotiations going on about the next version, whatever it will be, of pandemic-related stimulus, but he is also the senior senator from the state of Oregon. His name is Ron Wyden. Not only is he the senior senator of Oregon, but he was in the Congress for many, many years, elected in 1980. So since 1981, the constituents he represented, the U.S. House of Representatives, were largely in the city of Portland. Portland, as I need not to inform anyone, is the epicenter of something interesting, possibly historic, and certainly unprecedented, at least in modern American history. The presence not invited by local authorities, of federal agents to suppress what the president and the administration calls wanton, reckless, criminal, anarchist-fueled violence. Yet the mayor, the governor, and others say the problem isn't as you described and you're making it worse. So with that as an intro, Senator Wyden, it's great to talk to you. Thanks for having me, Major. We are recording this on Wednesday. Let me check my watch. What's the date? Okay, July 29th. This conversation, Senator, will play out over the weekend. It will be memorialized. So it's hard to have the entire conversation because today has been a particularly confusing day. The governor has released a statement saying the federal forces agents are leaving. The president and the vice president said, no, they're not. If you pardon me, what the hell is going on? Let me do my best to give you our take because this seems to change every hour or two. First, uh, Major, from day one, I have pressed the Trump administration to withdraw this occupying army from my hometown. And as of now, what I have pledged to my constituents is I am going to watchdog what was announced a few hours ago to ensure that it in fact actually happens and is not 
the administration's usual penchant for fiction. And what I'm especially concerned about, reviewing what has happened in the last couple of hours, is there is no specific timeline for a full withdrawal of the bar and the wolf and the Trump minions, if I could refer to them that way. That is a loophole big enough to drive an armored personnel carrier through. And so apropos of today, and you asked about the developments in the last few hours, what I want to do is make clear that this occupation should never have happened, period, full stop. And I just want to offer one other point by way of an introduction. Nobody summed it up better than a influential Republican who was the first secretary of Homeland Security. His name is Tom Ridge. Tom Ridge was asked about Portland, and he said hell would have frozen over before he would have allowed in his home state of Pennsylvania what has happened in my state. All right. I want to play for you, Senator Wyden, a soundbite from Vice President Mike Pence. This occurred on Tuesday. Again, I have to check my watch and the date, uh, July 28th, about what the administration asserts has happened in Portland in terms of violence and a threat to a federal courthouse. Play that, please. We've had 188 federal officials injured by violent protesters in Portland, night after night, tearing down the fencing, vandalizing the property, throwing projectiles. You've all seen it. The violence in Portland has got to stop. Uh, it, is, it is clear that the local leadership and the mayor of Portland are not willing to step up. We're going to stand up for law and order, well, uh, and that begins right in Portland. Your reaction, Senator? First of all, the overwhelming majority of my constituents are peaceful protesters who want to make the case that it is time to weed out systemic racism in Oregon, that Black Lives Matter. And we're not very proud of the fact that our state has a long history of not being very sympathetic to the proposition of equality for Blacks. So those are the majority of my constituents. And let me just mention the kind of person who I'm thinking about when I respond to your question. One of my best personal friends is an ER doctor, her name is Sharon Myron. She's also a county commissioner now. And she was out with the moms. I've heard a lot about you know the moms being um, out peaceful protesting. And she got hit with tear gas from a canister. Zero provocation, zero probable cause. And I will tell you, as somebody who has been listening to folks at home, what I can tell you is the Trump forces, these kind of paramilitary squads, it, it's like in our hometown, people feel like Trump's got an occupying army there. What they have done at every turn is escalate a very, very challenging situation. 
And what we need is leadership. And what I can tell you about the Trump administration is they never want to do the heavy lifting to go in there and deal with systemic racism. When I was home just a little bit ago, what I was doing was getting around my state, trying to find ways to reduce tensions. We were looking, for example, at using unarmed responses to some of the biggest challenges. Trump people don't want to do that, but they're doing major in my hometown, and they want to take what they've done in my hometown to a lot of other hometowns is they're trying to portray an us against them kind of strategy. They've already turned it into campaign um, commercials. And I'll leave this segment. I think we're doing several segments. My wish that I've told my constituents is I wish Donald Trump would attack the coronavirus half as hard as he is attacking my hometown. Is there anything inaccurate about that statistic from the vice president? Some 180 federal officials, he says, I don't know who he's talking about, injured. Well, that's your point. We don't know who these people are that he is um, talking about. But I think we all know, and that's why I made the reference initially, this is not an administration that is slow to use fiction to justify their arguments. And uh, I want to start this conversation. We're going to take a break in about 30 seconds. But I've read stories, because this has been going on for many, many weeks. This is not just a spasm of one or two protests. Portland has had a continuous presence of people on the streets seeking social justice for many, many, many weeks. But I've read a couple of stories where people have said there are some components of that that are more violent than others, demonstrably more violent, and that's a problem even from the protesters? There's no question, for example, that the Trump argument that they're trying to protect just federal buildings is inaccurate. We have all kinds of peaceful protesters who face these uh, problems of being detained and seized who are blocks away from federal facilities. That's just one example. Hold that thought. We'll continue this conversation on the other side of the break. I'm Major Garrett. You're listening to, watching, and thoroughly enjoying The Takeout. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back. Senator Ron Wyden, senior senator from Oregon, is our special guest. He's also the ranking Democrat on the Senate Finance Committee. He's in the middle 
of the negotiations fraught as they are over the next version of stimulus, pandemic-related stimulus legislation in Washington. I promise you we will get to that. But what's going on in Portland, I think, is a moment for this country. And because it's happening in a campaign year and because the president very well may be reelected, it might not be the last time this is seen. So I want us to have a conversation about what is or isn't happening. Performative authoritarianism has been mentioned in relation to this, Senator Wyden. Is that an exaggeration? Not, not at all. In fact, we had a nominee. I'm on the Intelligence Committee as well. My older child, it was an open hearing, my older child jokes with me. She says, hey, Dad, how about telling me what's going on on your so-called Intelligence Committee? And this was an open hearing with the Trump nominee for a hugely important position, basically being the legal advisor to the entire intelligence committee, the director of national intelligence. And I asked him about these basic kinds of questions. What kind of legal authority could he cite for the administration's involvement in my hometown? And I mentioned, you know, Tom Ridge. So they couldn't. And I said, and I had given it some thought, that I think if America doesn't draw a line in the sand now, our wonderful country could be looking at the prospect of martial law in the middle of a presidential election. And when I said it, I had been talking to friends about it over the weekend across the political spectrum. And I always note your show says you're non-ideological. I talked to moderates and conservatives and liberals. And I said, that strikes me as kind of a jarring statement. Do you think it's a valid thing to say? And they all basically, often accompanied by four-letter words, they all said yes. So you want to know about authoritarianism? I'm telling you about what's going on in our streets. We saw it in Lafayette uh, Park. We're seeing it on the streets of this country. Is there anything from your perspective, Senator, that is worthy of criticism in what you have seen play out on the protester side of the equation in Portland? Have people crossed the line? Are there crimes that have been committed? Is it okay for a federal courthouse to be under some sort of siege? Are you comfortable with that? Major, I'm against violence in any way, shape, or form. That's why I described my being home last week and looking at ways to promote nonviolent approaches, reduce tensions that involve unarmed um, responses. And to their, I think, great credit, a lot of our black leaders in the community have denounced individuals who are perpetrating violence and basically said they're doing damage to the Black Lives Matter movement, and particularly the Oregon challenge, which so many of us feel strongly about, which is dealing with the deep stain of racism that is unfortunately part of our history. So before we depart this topic, I want to give you one last chance to listen to someone else in the administration, since you referred to him by last name only in the first segment, William Barr, the Attorney General. He he appeared before the House Judiciary Committee earlier this week. This is one soundbite I want to play for you and get your reaction to. The rioters have come equipped for fight. 
armed with powerful slingshots, tasers, sledgehammers, saws, knives, rifles, and explosive devices. What unfolds nightly around the courthouse cannot reasonably be called protest. It is, by any objective measure, an assault on the government of the United States. Senator, you have some Trump supporters in Oregon. You know the Trump supporters around the country would say, I'm not okay with an assault on the government of the United States. And if people are showing up with hammers, saws, knives, rifles, and explosive devices, I want them arrested. Major, I already said I'm against violence, period, full stop, in the work that I'm doing to reduce it, one. Two, there is no question in my mind that what Bill Barr, Donald Trump, and Chad Wolf are doing, it's almost like putting gasoline on the fire. That's the description that so many in Oregon use. And in every community, you make an assessment of those who are trying to exercise their First Amendment rights. I've told you that overwhelmingly in my community, it is a peaceful community. But there's always a subset of people who aren't. And that's why I'm so proud of the black leaders in our community who join me in denouncing violence, join me in saying that not only are they against violence, but they believe that gratuitous violence is taking away from their movement which is to advance the cause of equality and justice for blacks, particularly in Oregon. Now to the pending business in Washington. In summary, where are negotiations with the Trump White House and the Senate Republicans? And I ask it in two parts because I'm not always sure that the White House is that important, that if Mitch McConnell in these fraught times can get enough votes, he'll tell the White House what it has to accept. The negotiations aren't going anywhere very fast, Major. And the heart of the problem is Mitch McConnell, as of today, we're talking on Wednesday, is completely AWOL. He is not participating in the negotiations. So you have the Senate Majority Leader sitting it out. Uh, I think that his conduct over the last few months, I don't know how to describe it other than unconscionable, because I believe that he really didn't care, for example, that people's unemployment benefits are going to lapse because he refuses to do anything. I will tell you, because I wrote that package in the Senate finance room, few doors down from where we're talking. You mentioned the fact I've done public service a bit. I am probably as proud of getting those extra dollars so people could make rent and buy groceries. We would cover what's called the pandemic individuals, the gig worker, the self-employed, the independent contractor, all those people who were never covered when the law was written in the 1930s. Obviously, we've had a lot of problems because you guys and others have done stories getting all the benefits out, but millions of people were able to make rent, buy groceries, and by the way, keep the economy afloat. And yet, Mitch McConnell would not even 
talk to us, wouldn't talk to the Democratic leadership, wouldn't talk to um, myself as the ranking Democrat on the Finance Committee, and essentially the author of the package. And I'm so proud to have worked with community leaders and others to do it, because I don't even want to imagine, Major, what this country would have been like over the last few months had those millions of people not had the $600 each week for those months and be able to pay um, groceries. And just one last um, comment. Now, the Republicans have made a proposal. It would take the 600 from 200, so you get cut $400. And they want to use- Per week, per week. $400 per week. And they want to use an administrative arrangement, which would make those old Rube Goldberg, probably not all of those paying attention would even remember the Rube Goldberg <laughs> contraption. Look it up, kids. Google it. Yeah. It's fun. I will tell you the best summary of what Mitch McConnell has done was described by a Republican state official who deals with these issues, a labor official in the bright red state of Georgia, he called McConnell's proposal the dumbest idea ever. That encompass, encompasses quite a bit if you think about D.C. Indeed. Uh, Senator Ron Wyden, our special guest. I'm Major Garrett, back for segment three of The Takeout in a moment. CBS News. This is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to the home studio here in downtown D.C. Of course, you've been watching me a lot here basically since the middle of March because still working from home. And as I say every week, not by rote because I mean it and it's true. I'm fortunate enough to do the work I do at home. Many of you are not. You're frontline medical workers. You are in grocery stores. You are first responders. You are doing other kind of work that now is regarded and now known universally in this country as essential. Keep safe. Know that we are thankful for all the work you do. And I'm also thankful that the work I do allows me to work from home. And so I don't get in anybody's way and I don't contribute to the problem. But for those of you out there confronting it, we give you our thanks. Ron Wyden is our special guest this week. He is the senior Democratic senator from the great state of Oregon. He's also the ranking Democrat on the Senate Finance Committee. And as we, were continue, as we will continue our conversation about what happens next. So you concluded our last segment, Senator, with this idea, from your point of view, a very bad idea from the Senate Republicans. All right. Okay, that's a bad idea. It's not going to pass. But something has got to pass. And if it doesn't, People are going to be left in the lurch, and we're only days away from that lurch deadline. Is anything going to happen? Well, I'm going to be sitting at my desk, almost tethered to the building, working to try to bring people into negotiations. The House passed their bill quite some time ago. I've offered a proposal with the Democratic leader, Senator Schumer, a fresh approach with respect to um, trying to make sure people got a fair shake who are out of work. We would tie the benefits to uh, economic conditions on the ground. We did it because Republicans said, hey, 
you know, when unemployment goes down, the benefit should taper down. Well, that's essentially what, you know, we're proposing. Right now, with the unemployment being so high, it ought to be 600 bucks, and the states can't even change their systems uh, in time. But we've made it clear we want to negotiate. But you can't have a negotiation if one side doesn't want to show up and sit at the table. And that's where we are. Is it fair to observe, Senator, and I will only say this because Republicans said it out loud for weeks. For a while, I was doing a daily podcast that was built around the coronavirus. And during May and early parts of June, that podcast was still going. And we talked to Republicans who said, you know, we really don't need another stimulus. Let's just let the money that's already out there be spent and we'll check back with you maybe some months later. There was clear from their point of view, no need for this. Now they suddenly realize there is a need. And there was no process beneath them. They are fearful of the politics. And are it appears, I think, to any reasonable outside observer that they're scrambling right now. As you well know, scrambling is not the best atmosphere for legislative outcomes. Am I wrong? I would only say the driving point is the Republican leader, who's the majority leader, is the one who is supposed to find the common ground in his caucus. And by the way, what is so bizarre about their approach, you would think with an election coming up, the majority party would be trying to come up with something that actually helped um, people, but they're sitting on their hands and it's the minority party that's saying we gotta protect working families from being evicted. We gotta make sure we don't gut the SNAP program, the nutrition program. We gotta make sure that working families get the money for rent and groceries and the like. Major, folks are not using that $600 to buy a bunch of fancy scarves from overseas. They're using that money in their local community to pay for essential. You mentioned you know, people who work in grocery stores. Well, if people don't have those unemployment benefits. They can't go to grocery stores. And those unemployment dollars are some of the best economic multiplier you could have in our society. And one other point that is different than when you talk to Republicans and you had your daily podcast and the like. When Republicans said everything was coming back and stores you know, were reopening, some small businesses that had laid people off, and they had to because um, that was essentially the government policy, they, they were under quarantine, they brought them back and then they didn't have customers and they laid them off again. And all over this country, if you look at the news, you've got small businesses, often with long held reputations and well regarded in their communities, they are closing the doors and closing them permanently. So this idea that the Republicans are peddling, which is that somehow the economy's uh, problem is because there are a bunch of unemployed folks who don't wanna work is just dead wrong. The problem is the scarcity of jobs. That is what is driving them. Okay, some brass tacks questions. If necessary, will Democrats coalesce behind something that is short-term just to keep the benefits going and leave heavier legislative lifting for later? 
What Democrats are doing is saying, that's why I'm sitting at this desk. Let's get to negotiating. The pieces of this issue are interrelated. In other words, depending on checks that may go out, $1,200, but who get, gets them, depending on what's done in terms of health services. What a mess Donald Trump has made of coronavirus policy. And as we talk, 150,000 people have now died. Donald Trump is gonna go down in history as turning a public health crisis into a culture war. And I just believe that's led to the needless death, needless deaths of so many of our friends and neighbors. Along the lines of the coronavirus response, is there anything this administration has gotten right? Well, I, I went through a period where I thought they were going to help companies, because I had a bunch of them in Nike, with guidance so that companies could start making their own PPE, the personal protective equipment. But the Trump administration has made a shambles of that as well, is now we're seeing with these spikes a tremendous shortage. And what we've got is an overall Trump policy that says, hey, it's mostly the governor's responsibility. And at one point, Trump just made fun of the federal government's role in protective equipment. He said, federal government's not a shipping clerk. And in fact, we're going to have a hearing in the Finance Committee tomorrow to look at what the damage has been uh, from this Trump policy, leaving so many of our communities without the protective equipment they need. Let me raise two other issues related to the coronavirus response. Uh, the White House would say Operation Warp Speed has accelerated the pursuit of a vaccine. And the promising results there are a reflection of that emphasis. And I've listened to and read healthcare economists who say the president has changed a lot of regulations around telehealth and compensation, meaning reimbursements. And that has led to more use of that. And that has been a net positive. In those two areas, do you think there's anything the administration has gotten more right than wrong? Well, with respect to telehealth, Major, the administration essentially moved to do administratively what I had been proposing for quite some time. In fact, I really started it with Orrin Hatch, now retired, the Republican um, from Utah. And a few days ago, I proposed actually making the changes permanent and establishing in America that mental health, because the demand for mental health services is in the stratosphere because of the anxiety. I propose that mental health become a legal right in America through telemedicine. So yeah, I think you can say that there was some effort by both parties to at least um, work on that. As far as the vaccine issue is, is concerned. Senator, hold that thought. I'll get you on the vaccine when we come back on the other side of the break. I'm Major Garrett. We'll get the Senator's comments on vaccine pursuits on the other side. I'm Major Garrett. This is The Take Out. 
That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back. Senator Ron Wyden is our guest. I had to cut him off for the break. I always regret doing that, but Senator... Forgive me and carry on with your assessment of the Trump administration and a COVID-19 vaccine and its potential. Well, on, on the vaccine issue, Major, I'm especially concerned about whether it's going to be affordable for Americans. And, you know, the Trump administration won't even lift the restriction so that Medicare can bargain to hold down the cost of medicine. Something like 90% of Americans support lifting that restriction. And whenever I talk to the Trump people, I would always say, I'd like to see where the other 10% are because you must have them in a witness protection program because I don't know of anybody who's not for lifting that restriction so that Medicare could bargain. So that's number one, making it affordable. Number two, I will tell those who are following this that I hope that the culture war that Trump brought with respect to even wearing a mask, which for the life of me does not generate some kind of Democrats, Republicans, huge cultural debate in my mind. I hope that that kind of taking public health policy, turning it into a culture war doesn't bleed in to the whole question of vaccinations. Because in this country, when we get that vaccination, we're gonna have to be all in because it's going to be critically important to the safety of our country. For those uh, who may not know, and you can certainly look this up to verify it, Senator Wyden uh, was very close to the very beginning of the legislative drafting around the internet. He has paid particular attention to this issue throughout his legislative career. As you well know, Senator, the culture war you have referred to a couple of times in this show plays out in social media platforms. Section 230 uh, is linked to that. I'd like to get your thoughts on what's been happening this very week with the president retweeting a video from so-called frontline doctors, one of whom is riddled with bizarre theories, I don't even call them conspiracy theories, about the pandemic, about possible cures, and about other utterly unhinged medical theories. And that's been taken down, and social media platforms are policing this more. Your thoughts on this entire range of issues? Well, I'm going to pass, Major, on all of the new tweets the president is offering about hydroxychloroquine. And I gather some of this involves witches and all kinds of stuff that you hardly think you can talk about with a straight face, but this is kind of what comes out of the the Trump 
healthcare debate. Let's talk about the seriousness of Section 230, mm -hmm. however. Yeah. Um, there's a book that people might want to pick up. It was written by Jeff Kossoff called The 26 Words That Created the Internet. And it's essentially about Chris Cox, conservative Republican, and I who wrote this bill. And we were always concerned about the little guy, you know, somebody who was in their garage, you know, somewhere, and they had a website, they had a blog. And um, they were worried that as soon as they posted, you know, something on their site, people would sue them and something would be posted over which they would have no control. So what we did is we said, look, we want the little guy to be able to come out of the gate and be successful. And I think the bill has and has contributed mightily, for example, to people being able to use the internet for education and finding jobs and the like. I will tell and you- And section 230, to be specific, protects them from that kind of legal action that would, from your philosophical point of view, have driven them out, nipped it in the bud, or scared people off in the first place. Correct. But the second part of the bill is just as important. What we did on a bipartisan basis, because you know the First Amendment basically protects just about anything in speech. We said if somebody puts up a bunch of slime, a bunch of these horrible kinds of things about children dying and the like, this would give legal protection to the site to take down the slime. And that was the other part of Section 230. 230 had a sword and a shield. The shield for the little guy who was dreaming about a good idea and a sword so that that small website or blog could say, that stuff is just garbage and slime and we're taking it down. Does the sword need to be larger and sharper these days? Well, I get lots of ideas uh, coming in on this issue. And the measure really is, because the First Amendment and speech really is so important for the little guy. You know, the big guys, Facebook and all these big guys, they can monetize anything. In fact, they've always been sympathetic to even curtailing Section 230, they backed the bill, Sesta Fosta, that would get it because they'd already made it. They drew up the, the drawbridge. So the test for the future is, will little guys still be able to speak out, be able to use those free speech provisions, and will we keep the ability to moderate what goes on on those platforms to take down the slime? I will tell you, I haven't seen a bill yet that does both of those things. And just for those who want to follow up on this conversation, Section 230 is from the Communications Decency Act. Minute 45 less than, left in this segment, Senator. Quickly, your assessment of the four executive orders last week from the president on, he says, reducing prescription drug prices. Will they be effective? Is that the right approach? I think it's basically snake oil. And if the president was serious about working with us, you know, he'd do two things. One, he'd support lifting the restrictions so that uh, Medicare could negotiate. And second, he would really get out there, roll up his sleeves for the idea of taking away subsidies from the pharmaceutical companies when they uh, raise prices more than uh, inflation, particularly on drugs like uh, insulin drugs. 
Does he have any power through this executive order to do any of the things he's describing? My sense is that there are probably some opportunities, but you know, at the end of the day, he really isn't willing to roll up his sleeves. For example, he wants to kind of cut rebates and things to companies, but then when you say, how are you gonna do it so that it really lowers the prices for people at the pharmacy window, he just takes a pass. That is the voice of Senator Ron Wyden, senior senator from the state of Oregon. He's also the ranking Democrat on the Senate Finance Committee. For those in the radio audience, we have to bid you adieu. That means all the great radio stations around the country, Sirius XM, POTUS Channel 124. We thank you as always for finding us. Those on the podcast and CBSN, stay tuned for the Takeout Outtake Especial. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial, and we're going to have a time-pressurized Outtake Especial this week, folks. Ron Wyden is our special guest, senior senator from the great state of Oregon, also ranking Democrat on the Finance Committee. He's got a pending vote in the Senate, so we're going to do this quickly, and then he's going to dash away with a dramatic flair. So, Senator, that's your burden, not mine. Uh, we have three threshold questions we ask each and every guest. We've done it for three and a half years on this program. So in no particular order, so whichever order you prefer, most influential book in your life, all-time favorite movie or one of your favorite movies, and if you're going to indulge yourself musically, what kind of artist or genre are you most likely to listen to? Um, Book, um, The Bay of Pigs, written by my dad, Bay of Pigs, The Untold Story, There's a picture of my dad and Fidel Castro on it that uh, Castro says Peter Wyden knows more about it than we do. And that taught me that what I ought to be doing in public life is asking the tough questions. Favorite movie, um, my children say, would you stop making us watch Rocky? And that was the theme (laughs) of my winning the... um, special election. And in terms of music, the inimitable Marvin Gaye, what's going on? Oh, that's, that's a very good combination. So I, I got his I'm going to, he's going to run. So folks, that's how it works. So we're This is a, this is a smaller, slightly smaller version of the takeout. I'll take a special, uh, Jamie, I'm going to invite you to jump in and just tell me if we're okay. If we, if Senator can go, is that all right? Can we pad this out or what, where are we? We're totally fine. Totally we're, fine. We're totally fine. So, dramatic flair, Senator. That's up to you to go. Dramatic okay. flair. Let's see this. I'm running. Major, thanks. <laughs> see ya. Now I got to put my tie on fast. There we go. There we go. See, this is this. This is. We're going to hold it all. There you go. See that, Jamie? See, there we go. Eric, everyone who's on the production side of this, just hold on that chair for a second. See? He was there. That was the door slam. He put his tie on. He's going to vote on the Senate floor. That's Washington, folks. That is Washington as, as real as it can be. And I'm Major Garrett, and I was Senator Ron Wyden, and this has been The Takeout. We'll see you next week. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Zoe Poindexter, and Jake Rosen. CBSN production by Eric Susanen, Grace Seegers, and Daniel Peebles. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS Audio.
If you like the takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. I'm CBS News correspondent Major Garrett, host of the podcast Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. During the Cold War, FBI agent Robert Hansen traded classified secrets to the Kremlin in exchange for cash and jewels. In the podcast, you'll hear from Hansen's closest friends, family members, victims, and colleagues for the most comprehensive telling of who Robert Hansen really was. Binge the entire series now. Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen is available on the Wondery app, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money, and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.